0: Carl, I think it would be wonderful if we stayed on, and you'd be up, and you would begin to share (laughs) with these guys
1: what you've begun to think, and uh, and just have a good time doing this. Following you, man, it's hard. You are so stinking eloquent. Yeah. You're not even a speaker. Sit down. Jeez. You didn't see him on the list, did you? It's Barry Brown right there. Barry Brown. Thanks, Barry. Awesome. Are those yours?
0: Yeah. You can sing Amazing God
1: if you'd like. (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) Actually, no, I can't sing "Amazing God." Uh, just two weekends ago, I was flying out of DIA. Some of you flew into DIA just now, Denver International Airport, and for some reason, the escalator was was broken, and so uh, we, some of us got out of the little train and piled onto the elevator to go up to the out of the fifth floor or sixth floor—I'm not sure—to you know, go to the concourse. And so about four or five of us got into the elevator and we did, you know, for a couple floors before it stopped, we did what you do on elevators, which is, you know, or, you know, looking at the the numbers as they go up. But of course nobody talked because, you know, you're not supposed to talk in an elevator. But before we reached our destination, it stopped like two floors short, like on the third floor or fourth floor or something. And some guy got on and he literally, the doors opened and he went like this. Hey everybody, how you doing? And we all just kind of, I mean, literally, physically, we all jumped. I mean, actually, I mean, how inappropriate. And, and, and we all kind of like, went like this. And, and I actually said, because I don't know what to say. And I, I always say something funny. I said, I, you know, I don't think you got the memo. You're actually not supposed to talk in elevators. And then everybody laughed. And I'm telling you what, by the time we got to the sixth floor, we were all best friends. I mean, just like two <laughs> floors later, we're laughing. Hey, where are you going? That's great. And so oh, goodbye, goodbye. And then we're just all off so happy. And I just thought, that was the funniest, weirdest experience ever. Um, <laughs> And uh, we're gonna have some experiences like that in these next couple of days. Also, another thing that happened just similar to this, two days ago, I was up at my friend, uh, my friend Mike has a house up at the mountains and I would take, taken some time to just get away and pray. And so Mike's a football fan uh, for the wrong team, but he's a football fan. And so we were talking just I don't know even how, how this came up, but last, this last weekend, my son Jonathan, who's a 19 year old at uh, University of Colorado, he and I snuck away and drove off to Lincoln, Nebraska. I grew up in Nebraska and went to a Nebraska Cornhuskers football game. It was awesome. And it's when they played Northwestern. And I don't know if anybody knows what happened that game, but I was there right down on the field, unbelievable. So I, I was telling that to Mike, and Mike goes, yeah, man, I saw that. that, was an awesome game. And I go, yeah, I know, can you believe it? And he's like, no, I can't believe it, that was just incredible. Can you believe North, Northwestern went into Nebraska and beat them? I said, Mike, did you watch the whole game? Well, no, I turned it off like with 30 seconds left, but they were down, it was fourth and 15. Well, the Huskers threw a hell Mary 60 yards and won the game with time, time expired. But yeah, come on, yeah. come on. That's, that's Who Don't are you? Friend. Stand up right now. I like that guy. Don't right. be a <laughs> oh no, yeah, <laughs> we got one other Husker in there. Nobody, everybody else is like, what are you talking about anyway? But I mean, so there's another, another little experience, isn't there? There's another little experience where he thought he knew the answer, but he didn't actually. He didn't actually watch. He didn't actually watch the whole game. He turned it off just a few seconds short because it was fourth and fifteen, with the eleven seconds left. And Nebraska was down by three. Obviously, Northwestern had won. But we made the fourth and 15, just barely. And from the 50-yard line, our guy heaved a pass right to the goal line. It was tipped up in the air and fell right into Nebraska football players' arms. And Nebraska won. And I'm telling you what, that place went went crazy. It was unbelievable. Anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Get off track here a little bit. And then what happened is... (laughs) What does that have to do with Jesus? Uh, really nothing exactly, but uh, <laughs> what, was, what was my point? I think the point was something about, um, sometimes things don't finish the way you thought they were started. Some, sometimes things surprise you. Sometimes you think you know the end result, but you actually don't. Sometimes you think you know social norms, societal customs, religious traditions, that say, this is how we think of Jesus. This is how we think of Christianity. This is how we think of church. This is how we think of life. And actually, they're not always right. And I'm telling you what, unlearning, Barry said it well, unlearning some of those things. Now, this isn't a deconstructionist thing. We're not trying to say, oh, that, I mean, so it's not, let's not carry this too far. We're not trying to deconstruct something or really even reconstruct anything. There is, if you haven't guessed, really, there really is actually no agenda to this time. It's just a bunch of friends coming together and there's no plan for where it goes. We have a little website that's kind of funky with different Jesus faces on it. And that's, I mean, that, this is pretty much it but we're pretty sure there's some things that we're sure about Jesus that actually aren't quite right. And let's just be open to that idea and discover some new things together. Uh, Several years ago, uh, Chris and I lived in Lebanon, Beirut, Lebanon for 12 years, and kind of been in and out of the Middle East for about 31 years. But um, actually, before I tell the story, let me just introduce uh, two people. This is kind of cool. I mean, I can't get started here because I know about half of you, but. Jamie and Donna Winship, why don't you just stand up? They just flew in from Jerusalem. You guys heard of Jerusalem? Not, not, not Pennsylvania. It's like the Jerusalem, you know, that one. They live there, good friends. It's fun to have them there. And then just, I don't know if you guys planned this or not, but in the same row, I don't think you guys even know each other. Uh, Sam, why don't you stand up? Sam just flew in from Saudi Arabia. And uh, what's, what's kind of cool about Sam is uh, he's become, he lives in Saudi Arabia. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but most people in Saudi Arabia are Muslims. They're everywhere there. (laughs) And actually, Sam's Muslim friends from the local mosque took up an offering and paid for his plane ticket to fly to Simply
2: Jesus.
1: (laughs) Isn't that, that's kind of cool. I mean, that messes up some paradigms, doesn't it? That's a little confusing. So that's what we're talking about. I think we're done. (laughs) <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, that's pretty much it. That's what we're talking about right there. It's things like that that kind of confuse things, mess up boundaries, crash paradigms. And isn't that just like Jesus? I mean, that's what Jesus does. So anyway, back to the story I was about to tell. We were um, uh, in Lebanon, and uh, I, I'd been asked inexplicably to speak, like I'm speaking now, in a mosque. So I'm speaking in a uh, Shiite Muslim mosque in South Lebanon, controlled by a group called the Hezbollah, the Hezbollah, or a Shiite Lebanese organization, we'll say, uh, that do various things. You may have heard of them. And so one of the things that you probably didn't know they do is they invited me to speak in their mosque. And so uh, that didn't make it on Fox News. And so... uh, (laughs) Or, or CNN either. So, okay, that's just, that we'll be fair here. Uh, so, I'm just walking up the stairs to, to preach about Christ in this mosque, as they had requested. And the imam, you know, imam is like uh, the pastor of the local mosque, uh, the Muslim uh, version of a pastor. The imam comes running up behind me. He's just like you picture. has a black turban and a long beard and a long robe. And he runs up behind me and he grabs my shoulder. He said, Mr. Carl, Mr. Carl, one thing. And I'm thinking, oh, no, he's... Uh, he chickened out. He realized, what am I thinking having a guy talk about Jesus in my mosque? And he's realized his mistake. And he's going to tell me to, to stand down, to sit down. But this is what he says. He said, Mr. Carl, one thing. One thing. He says, please. Do, and he got, you know, you know how personal space in the rest of the world isn't like ours? It's like this? So, he right in my face. One thing, Mr. Carl. Please do not speak about Christianity. Just Jesus. And then he turned around and walked away. And I, 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 I thought, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, is that a trick, or is that a, I think that's okay, I, and so I kind of walked up sort of confused, or, or was that encouraging, is that good, I think it's, I mean, I think I was talking about Jesus anyway, but, but that just like haunted me, the rest of the three stairs up to the platform, and there's a big platform like this, and I get up there, and I thought about some things, you know, to say, and I had a couple notes, like, kind of like I do now, like three words on there, and, and so I started, and I kind of gave a half hour talk about some stuff, I don't remember exactly what I said, but some Jesus stuff from the Bible, I suppose, and, 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 uh, which is where most of that stuff is. And then, and then I'm done. I was just kind of done. And uh, I looked down, the man was sitting about maybe right where you're sitting. He went like this, which in Arabic also means keep going, you know? <laughs> so I said, how, how long? And he said, Another hour. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> which I'm expecting somebody to say tonight. No, forget it. Just, no, no. no not, not a chance. Christians don't do that, just Muslims. But. <laughs> this Muslim guy, the imam's like, keep going. So, and then I said, how long? Another hour? i go, another hour? I'd only prepared a half hour of talk and I was done. And then all of a sudden, this, this is, here's my point. Honestly, I'm not kidding. Here I am, a Christian missionary in Lebanon. I'd given a half an hour, half an hour of stuff on Jesus. They'd asked me to speak about Jesus. I was doing that. He said, don't preach Christianity, just Jesus. And then he said, go another hour. You know what my thought was? It wasn't, Wow, praise the Lord. I'm going to be preaching an hour and a half in a mosque. It was, oh, no. Actually, I think there was another word that was in my head there. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if I have another hour on Jesus. I mean, I have an hour on stuff, for sure. I mean, I got lots of stuff. I, I mean, I know theology, and I can do kind of my dad's a pastor, and every dinner table at our house—honestly, every dinner table at our house—growing up, I just remember my dad uh, quizzing us. I was the guy, actually growing up in Colorado Springs. that was on the uh, the Bible quiz team. I was on the our quiz team won the state championship <laughs> in 1976. Uh, come on, on the Bible quiz show, and uh, yeah. And I was like, I was only an eighth grader, but I was on the high school team, and I answered most of the questions just because I knew. And I could be an Arminian or a Calvinist. I could believe in transubstantiation or not. I could have it this way or that way. I knew all, because my dad quizzes. You know, remember sword drills? My Bible would just fall open. I mean, and he would do Hezekiah 3, 4. Dad, Hezekiah is not in the Bible. Hesitations 3.16. Hes- Dad, <laughs> Hesitations isn't in the Bible. I mean, I just, we, knew the, the, we just knew this stuff. So I'm that guy. So I can talk about Christianity. I can talk about theology. I can talk about doctrine, all of which I love. I love doctrine. I can have a doctoral debate with you or with myself or anything. I love that stuff. <laughs> Except Jesus, when asked by the Imam to focus on Jesus for another hour, Honestly. I mean, this is a confession. This isn't part of, a, like, a really cool, make Carl look good message. This is a confession. I I panicked. And then I just started, I started kind of just, I mean, ad-libbing. My notes are done. So I'm just, I started telling a couple of parables, you know, the prodigal son, Good Samaritan, this and that. And then I started kind of going, and, uh, and you know, I mean, there were... Uh, <laughs> and, the, and there's this time with the woman at the well, then someone would come back to me, and I'd do like John 8, woman at the, uh, John, John 4, see? And then I would do John 8, uh, the woman caught in adultery, and, and then I'm, I'm telling you, at an hour and a half, I was just, I was exhausted, I felt embarrassed, and I was just done, and so I looked at the man kind of with pleading in my eyes, like, I'm, I'm done? And it's like, just how about one more hour? And there's like the place is full. I mean, the place is full. It's a mosque full of three hundred and fifty Shiite Muslims. And you know what I said to him? I said, I, I, I can't. I think I'm 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 tired. I said, <laughs> I lied. I lied as I was preaching in a mosque. Isn't this a great story? <laughs> I can't. I, I'm done. And I was just I was just done. And then I and then I sat down. And that moment was both the most exhilarating, because I just got to preach in a mosque about Jesus for an hour and a half, and the most devastating of my whole life. And I just thought, you know what? I'm a Christian missionary in Beirut, Lebanon, and I don't know Jesus. And it was just right after that that I read read Philip Yancey's book, who you'll hear from tomorrow morning, the Jesus I never knew, and that was me. Uh, I knew stuff about the Lord, and about Christ, and about stuff around that, but I actually didn't know Jesus. And I'd been exposed in a mosque by a Muslim man. There's another time, uh, and I'll finish with this story, just more recently. Uh, we now live here in Denver and take trips over to the Middle East often, and, and I'll be over there for an extended period of time this next year. And on this trip, actually, again, uh, a couple of you were with me. It's kind of fun to tell stories. I'm held accountable, because some of you, I mean, you actually know me and you've been on these trips. So a couple of you were on this trip as well, and we were with the guy who leads the Hezbollah in South Lebanon and we were sharing with them and talking about Jesus and I'd give him an Arabic Bible and, and he was reading through the Arabic uh, scriptures, uh, the gospels together. And a former governor of one of our states with, was with us on this trip. And uh, the Hezbollah television station came in and, want, and asked to do an interview with the former governor who's a conservative Republican governor of a state that obviously that you would know if. You, if you know all 50 of your states, and you probably know this guy's name. And uh, he looked at me and said, should I be on Hezbollah TV? And I said, you know, I mean, it's up to you, but I don't, I mean, you won't be able to be governor anymore, but I I mean, honestly, I don't don't mind. Uh, And he goes, no, he goes, no, 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 thank you, no, I can't do it. So the, the sheikh, the imam, the guy who leads the Hezbollah, Uh, you would know his name I suppose as well, pointed to me, I was sitting down over there right next to you, and he goes, interview Carl, he'll do it. So the camera guy comes over to me, this is exactly what happened, it was the big cameras, not these new cool DSLRs that look like, it was like the big cameras, it's El Manar TV, which is a satellite TV station that goes to all 250 million Arabs. And uh, the guy comes over the camera, comes over to me. and I'm just sitting there in the chair doing nothing, just sitting there and not thinking about anything. And then the guy with the microphone comes over and the guy with the lights come over. The guy with the microphone goes like this. Camera turns on. I didn't know, but it was a live feed. So it's going to the whole Arab world, Middle East, North Africa. (laughs) And he says this to me, he says, "Uh, Mr. Carl. They call me Mr. Carl because I don't really have a title. Mr. Carl. uh, we were so impressed by this delegation and they're just my friends but delegation sounds cool I, uh, this delegation you brought from america could you please tell us why you love the hezbollah and hate israel and so just in just in case anybody's wondering i neither love the hezbollah organization and nor do i hate israel so it's obviously a trick question now i over years i've trained myself this isn't natural for me. I've trained myself to try to answer things the way Jesus did, which is he didn't answer. So <laughs> so here's what, I've, here's what I've learned to do in those situations, and this is what I actually did. I said, I mean, first of all, I, I did this prayer that goes like this. Like, I went, uh. <laughs> and actually that, actually that prayer is pretty good. You know what I mean, seriously, <laughs> there's like a lot packed in that prayer. So I did that. I, I mean, it just kind of comes, it just happens. And so it mostly means help. And I said, uh, actually, uh, that reminds me of a story Jesus told, <laughs> which it didn't, but, <laughs> but what, what you're doing. This is actually a good strategy. It's not just the way of Jesus, but it's actually smart. It's just smart, which, by the way, is the way of Jesus. It's that reminds me and you say it kind of slow that reminds me of a story and as you're saying that you just have to have this pre-agreements with God before you go into the setting and say God when I say those words please remind me of a story that you told and seriously now there's another key here is you have to actually know some stories Jesus told to be reminded of them right so it's your kid comes to you and says mom could you pray for my calculus test well did you study well no but I'm hoping God will know it doesn't work that way you actually have to study. God might remind you of what you studied. but So you have to know some stuff. So I prayed that prayer, said that thing. That reminds me of a story Jesus told. And the guy kind of goes, well, that wasn't the question. And then I said, you know, actually, and it came to me. Now, this would be one of the top five that would come to me anyway, frankly. But it came to me. The Luke 15. You know, just south of here, I said. We were entire Lebanon. You know, Sidon and Tyre. Biblical Sidon and Tyre in the country of modern-day Lebanon, and just south of Tire, about 10 miles is Israel. I said, actually, it's interesting, because Jesus just down there, a couple thousand years ago, talked about this really wealthy, wealthy, rich patriarch. And he had two sons. And interestingly, the the younger son, while the dad was still alive, asked for his half of the inheritance, and his father gave it to him. When I said that, the cameraman, which was looking through the lens, went like this. (laughs) (coughs) What? Now, we don't, we don't get that so much here. The younger son, while the dad's still alive, asked, and the dad gave it to him, and then what happened, you know the story. He went, and I told it just like that. I, and I actually said, you know the story. You know, most, you know that Muslims believe in Jesus, great prophet, great teacher, uh, alive today, coming back at the end, judge living and the dead, word of God. He's not crucified, he's not God. <coughs> so it's missing, can I get some water? Uh, missing some water person? Everybody stands up. And, oh, thank, well, there you go, Bart. Thanks, Mike. You're too late. <laughs> kind of like that Nebraska game. <laughs> yeah, it was him. <laughs> um, <clears throat> wow. So, the guy, go, you know, the young son, younger son goes away, uh, has lots of friends because he has lots of money, then has no money, then has no friends, and ends up eating with pigs. When I said that line, ends up eating with pigs. The camera guy again went like this, and he's just, and he's then he's just looking at me the rest of the time. I don't know where the camera was even going because <laughs> he was just like looking at me, because Muslims don't do pigs like Jews, Jews don't do pigs, and so that was shocking. And then you know this great, you know the great story. He comes back. He's rehearsing a speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son, but I'll be your slave. Better be your slave than it is to be living with those pigs. And he's rehearsing the speech on the way home. The father, who must have been looking for him, sees him from a long ways away, and then runs to him. And when I said the father runs to him, I mean, literally all through the, the camera guy, the microphone guy who is still holding the microphone, just looking at me like, what are you talking about? And the light guy all just physically reacted. Like they all just kind of went, I mean, patriarchs with long robes and dignified in the Middle East don't run to people. You don't go to the Middle East today to visit the big guy and say, yes, I'm uh, down the road at the you know, El Hajj Hotel, and I'd like you to come. I'm in 605. You don't ask them to come visit you because they have weight and authority and honor. You go visit them, right? That's even mostly how it works here as well. So they were just, they couldn't believe that. They couldn't believe the story I was telling. And then the father hugs him and, you know, uh, puts a new ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and a new robe. He honors the son. He honors the son who has squandered all of this wealth. And then he, comes back home with the dad, and the dad doesn't chastise him, but throws him a party. And I said, and that's why we're here, is because we follow the God that throws parties for people who just turn and say yes to Jesus. So whether you're Muslim, like here, or Christian, whether you're Lebanese or American, whether you're from this country or that country, I said, when you just turn, when you just turn, God runs to you and then he throws a party. What kind of God is that? And then I just ran out of words and I was done. And the guy just, the cameraman just was going, oh my, oh my, oh my. And they turned off the light and they walked around and he walked back to the sheikh, the Hezbollah leader, and he said, I just told Carl to say why he loves the Hezbollah and hates Israel but he didn't say that. And the sheikh said, well, what did he say? And he goes, I don't know. He just told a story about Jesus. And I heard the sheikh, who was talking to my governor friend, I heard the sheikh say to the cameraman, well, it's Carl. What do you think he's going to talk about? (laughs) And then the Hezbollah leader leans behind the governor and looks at me and went like this. (laughs) That's what we're talking about. That's surprising, isn't it? You're not expecting that. You're expecting Hezbollah and something else. You're not expecting Muslim. You're expecting something else. But when Jesus invades the space, when he comes, when he shows up, when we just present him, when we just say, you know, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. And then God reminds you of a story Jesus told. And you tell it and you just say it and you just present him and you lift his name up. What happens is unbelievable. So whether it's my friend who got the score wrong or the guy that walks on the elevator messing up the norm by greeting everybody and making us be friendly to each other which of course you'll like in the end anyway or it's Jesus showing up in these next two or three days I think you're going to be more than you think surprised okay we're started
0: thank you you enjoy that no, that was no fun for you at all, was it? Yeah, Carl just doesn't get into his talks enough, does he? <laughs> that was wonderful. We're thinking. Thank you. Just present him. Jay, we're all ears. Watch you come and uh, keep this conversation going with us and uh, add to what Carl already started off so well? And we're eager to hear it. be part of what you want to talk to us about. I'm in. Beautiful. Good evening. So,
3: uh, it was uh, earlier this year, I got set up on a date. I'm married. (laughs) So, that's not supposed to happen. And I got set up on a date by a friend of mine with another guy. And if you're like a pastor type, uh, which which is what I am, people who like are discovering new life with Jesus with you will set you up on dates with their friends because they want you to get them <laughs> that's what they do and they set you up on this date and they just kind of go like go and it's really awkward for everyone some of you are single you've you've done the blind date thing it's awkward and so I walk into this little coffee shop, and I didn't know he had set this up like this, but he had just set up to hang out, and then all of a sudden his friend appears, and he whispers, as he's walking in, he says, this is the guy I've been telling you about. Do, do the thing you do. Do it. Do the thing. Do the <laughs> Jesus thing. And I went, what? What is, happen- what is happening? And the next day I'm like, oh, hey. Hey. He's like, hey. The guy sits down. Now, he knew it was a date. I didn't know it was a date. And the first thing he says to me, he says, I know exactly what you're here to do. I said, I didn't. I just came to be with my friend. I am so, this is, what, what am I here to do? And he says, I know what you're here to do, and I know your whole deal. I was raised in church. Uh, I've been around this stuff. I know how it works. I'm not interested in any of your church Christian crap. First words out of his mouth. And I said, wow, okay, well, that's good, because I'm not really interested in that either he pauses, and he looks at his friend, and he goes, isn't this the guy that you said the, the, the Jesus stuff about? He says, yeah, yeah. And he's looking at me like, what are you doing? You're messing this up. I said this up. You're supposed to, like, get him. And, and uh, he said, well, then what are you about? I said, I am fascinated with Jesus. He said, oh, you're being tricky. Ah, uh, you're being tricky. You're being tricky. Uh, he said you were tricky, so here's the deal here's the deal. I, I know this stuff. I know the, the, the Christian thing or the church thing. I was raised in church. You know, I went, I went to church all the time. My parents are like really into it. I'm so not into it. I think it's like a total waste of time. Actually, I think it's probably detrimental. And I said, wow, all right. That's, that's interesting. I said, could I, could I just ask a question? He said, sure. I said, what part of what Jesus said or did do you not like? And he said, well, that's a good question. You know, all these Christians are so judgmental. You know, they're just knocking people down. They're so moralistic. They just say it's their way or the highway. And I said, that's not what I asked you. I didn't ask you that. I asked you a different question. I asked you, what part of what Jesus said or did do you not like? And he goes, well, I'm sure there's things. There's all kinds of things. And I said, well, like What? He goes, do I mean, I don't know. I mean, I know the people that, like, talk about Jesus, and they're, like, horrible. So, and you're one of them. So, I don't like him. And I said, well, maybe you should, like, think about that. Like, you should think about what it means to actually listen to Jesus and think about what he did, and then just decide if you don't like that. I mean, maybe you could just read about that or something. And it started a, a friendship for us where he would read the teachings of Jesus and then we would get together and talk about it. After three months of us doing this, we got together. Again, he, you know, he's, he's a business guy, PR, marketing guy, so he's was really intense. So he, every time we'd, we'd start, it would just start. You know? So like, he'd walk in and he would go, okay, here's the thing, you know, boom, we're off. And so the, the, one of the times I was with him, I had this really powerful moment He sat down with me, he looked right at me and said, I have figured out what the whole problem is. I said, what? He goes, Jesus has really bad PR. (laughs) Like his PR is horrible because there's all these people walking around that are acting like they own him and that they're his possession and they are horrible representations of Jesus. And they say things that he would not say, and they do things he would not do. And so people kind of don't get past the PR guy. You know, they don't get past the marketing to even take a look at him. That was such, isn't that such a powerful insight? And when he said that to me, I thought, you are, you are 100% right. That is accurate. It even comes out in vernacular, you know, like we'll say things like, we're going to, you know, if you're in sort of church world, we're going to share Jesus with people. Like we own Him, (laughs) and I will let you take a look if you're very nice. If you're very nice, I will let you see Him for just a moment, just a moment. All right, Jesus, come on out, right? Because we can share Him. We can share Him with others because we own Him. He's our possession. We can share. And, and there's tons of vernacular like that. And it is 100% accurate that Jesus needs better PR. Something's gotten confused along the way. See, uh, I, I know this personally to be true because I was not raised in this thing called church. I was not raised in church. I was not raised within Christianity uh, just didn't have any background, you know, that was sort of like organized faith in any way. How many, how many people here were not raised in like church life or Christianity stuff? How many people? I'm just curious. Okay, a, a good number. Of you. I, I know who to trust now. <laughs> rest of you are suspect. But, but, but I wasn't raised in any of this stuff. So, you know, I didn't have a background with this. I, I'm not aware, you know, of the vernacular, the culture of all of this. I can remember the first time I went To a church thing uh, was a funeral. And I went with my folks. I was seven years old. I go to this church thing. And, you know, I remember, I can remember it because of one vivid image. I can remember looking up and seeing a naked man bleeding to death, like on the wall, and thought, that is like the worst decoration (laughs) ever. It's like violent. And horrific. And he was like really sad looking and bleeding out of his head. And I thought, who would do that? Who would put that in anywhere? I was like, horrible to look at. And I remember saying to my mom, what is that? She said, ah, uh, it's Jesus. I went, oh, no. Like, <laughs> oh, it's like so gruesome. Like, oh, you know, I'm like this little kid. It's terrifying. And and I said, why would they do that? She said, well, they think he's, I don't know, I think they think he's God. And I'm like, oh, no, like, that's, like, horrible. It's horrible. And I can remember that. I get Like, right now, even just saying, I can remember that image and just being, like, really frightened. It was, like, really scary to me. And then as I kind of grew up around people who did church things, I could always kind of spot them because they would have different, like, T-shirts that would make sure that i knew they were from this group so they'd have like t-shirts and they all had that like gory stuff on it you know like this bleeding guy and unfortunately uh, i found them to be pretty annoying uh the the one guy i knew that was for sure like part of that crew that i didn't quite understand he would wear the t-shirts and he always cheated at basketball he was like a horrible punk of a human being and he would, every, like, little Bible study or something that somebody could, or any, like, uh, class presentation, he would make sure to do something on the Bible. And I just found him to be horribly annoying. And I found that kind of trending with different people I would meet. And so, you know you, you know, you just start to associate people with certain things. Now, I'm not saying that's true in all circumstances, but it was in mine. And so I just didn't really like this thing. And in my home, I was just sort of taught that people that need God are just weak. Like, there's... Strong people who, like, get stuff done and they change the world. And there's weak people that need to believe in God in a certain way in order to make their life worthwhile and meaningful. And so, you know, that's just sort of how I saw the world. You know, you just inherit the worldview that you're, you're raised in. Like Carl's, Carl's doing, like, 1976. I, I was born 1976 when you were winning that. So, so he's, winning, he's winning Bible quizzes and I'm born. But, 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 um, but. But, but anyway, anyway, but but you know that's that you're just kind of from different cultures. That was my culture, and uh, one day a guy asked me to a party. Now I knew what parties were. Uh, I like parties, and he said there was a promise of we'll say it nicely attractive young females. And when you're a young man, that's really all you need. So, I was invited to this party, and I thought, I'm going. So, I went to this party with this guy, and I walked in, and it was unlike any party I've ever seen before, because it was like a whole bunch of chairs, and there was a stage, and then there was like no beer anywhere, or wine, or anything, and there was like pizzas and Mountain Dew. <laughs> some of you know. See, some of you were raised in this church thing. So you know exactly what this is. <laughs> This is, this, is, this, is a, this is what they call a youth group, and I didn't know that, so I'm like eating pizza, thinking this is strange. There were some attractive young females, so I thought, okay, one thing's true, and then all of a the sudden, these guys grabbed uh, guitars and started playing music, and everyone just shuffled into the chairs, and they started doing karaoke, <laughs> and I was like totally disoriented. I'd never been to a party where people just spontaneously started doing karaoke. <laughs> Have you... Have you been to one of those parties? Have you been to a party like that, where the, you know they just start, everyone just kind of files in and they start doing karaoke? You've been you've been to a party like that. You've been. It happened earlier. It was on. If you didn't, if you came late, it happened. See, that's weird. No one, no one does that. Karaoke is a joke thing, but then, or at least it should be. And then other other people do it for real and they call it worship. And it was just really strange. So people are singing songs I've never heard, doing this stuff, and then all of a sudden everybody stops and they sit down. So I, oh, I sit down, I realize, guess that's what we're doing. And I'm looking at my buddy going, what, is, what are we doing? He's like, yeah, it's j- just we'll hang out again in a minute. Okay, you know, whatever. And, and then this guy pops up and he just starts talking. And I have no idea what he's saying. Blah, 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 blah. And he seemed really serious. I people were really taking it seriously. Some people were like writing things down. I thought, wow, this, isn't, this is serious. And then in the middle of what he was talking about, he said one thing. He said, for the things that are done in the dark will one day be brought to the light. And things that are whispered in the corners will one day be shouted from the rooftops. And I had the strangest experience. It felt like the whole room slowed down and it felt like someone was pressing on my chest, like with their hand. And I knew that what that guy said was true. I knew someday, some way, somehow, everyone was going to have to somehow give some sort of account for their life. I just, I just knew it right then in that moment. I didn't know why I knew it. I just knew it. And then he kept talking. Blah, 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 blah. blah. And it kind of went away. I just, blah, 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 blah. what was that? You know, and I kind of came to... And he kept talking for a while, and then he stopped. And uh, he said, you know, some of the things I said uh, up here are actually in something called the Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, I would love to give you a Bible. And I thought, well, okay. I don't have a Bible. I'll take a Bible. And I walked up, and, you know, he, he was standing up front, you know, just like this on the stage. And I walked up. He was standing in front. And I could see the stack of Bibles on, in the front of the stage. And I said, hey, you said if you don't have a Bible, I could come up and get a Bible. I'd love a Bible. He said, oh, great. Well, just meet me at McDonald's, and I'll give you a Bible. And I said, well, there's, there's one right behind you. So <laughs> can I just have that one? I'll just take that one. He goes, no, 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 I'm, I'll, I'll give it to you at McDonald's. Just come over to McDonald's. I'll give, you, give it to you there. So was it going to be like, like exactly like that one? Because I could just take that one. <laughs> no, 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 just, just, just come to McDonald's. I'll give, I'll give it to you at McDonald's. Okay. Sure enough, it was the exact same Bible. It was on that stack. It's sitting on the table in McDonald's, and there's like, you know, it's like, it's like everything parts, and you could tell everyone kind of whispers. And you, have you ever been in a room where you know it's a setup? It's a setup. So I walk over to the table. He says, Why don't you sit down? I said, Okay. I sit down. He says, Would you consider yourself a spiritual person? I said, Ah, no. He said, Well, I have a really important question for you. Have you been born again? I don't, I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying. And he said, well, you know that this is the Word of God. And I said, okay, well, great. I don't know. I don't know what we're doing. I just came to get, you said, I could have a Bible. I'm asking for a Bible, and that's what we're doing. He says, no, I'm going to ask you more questions. And we get into what ends up being about an hour argument. Uh, about, like, I just start arguing with them. Like, how do you know that that's the actual things that guys wrote? That's not the actual one. That was printed in a press, and then some other guys wrote it, and it was copied and copied and copied. And how do you even know any of this stuff's true? And we start arguing, and I end up making depressed. And he finally just gives up and goes, take it. <laughs> and, uh, and so I said, okay. And I picked it up. I felt kind of bad. I'd obviously disappointed the guy. Something was supposed <laughs> to happen that didn't happen. And so I went home, and I got my Bible, and I kind of threw it on the side of my bed. And a few weeks later, I picked it up, and I started reading it. And I, have, you, have, you ever read the, have you ever read the Bible? It's a weird book. You know, you, you start reading it, and I realized I actually had the wrong book um, because it was a book about Jews. I got the Jew book. I, I, thought, I thought somewhere they had swapped them. I thought I was going to get, like, the Jesus book, and I got the Jew book, and so I was so disoriented because I didn't know. Maybe in the religious book factory, they got swapped or something, <laughs> And, and so I just thought, well, whatever, I, you know, it's something, I'll read this. And so I'm just plowing through it, plowing through it, plowing through it, and it's really boring and weird, and there's all this strange stuff happening, I have no idea what's going on, but I'm just reading through it, I thought, this is interesting, read all the way through it, get to where all of a sudden there's this guy, Jesus suddenly is doing stuff, and I thought, wow, he's really interesting, he's saying interesting things, he's doing interesting things. But then all of a sudden, it seems like everybody's mad at him all the time. I couldn't figure out why they were mad at him. I thought, he's like a nice guy. He's doing like really nice stuff. They're really mad at him. And then they kill him. I thought, that's terrible. Why would they kill this guy? I have no concept of anything. Then all of a sudden, he's like coming alive. And then I flip the next page, and there he is being born again. That's a weird story. So so I thought, well, I guess we're going to do it again. And then you go through again. (laughs) And then guess what? They kill him again. And then he comes back again, and then you flip the next page, and guess what? He's born again. And and this happens four times. This is the weirdest book I've ever read. So I'm I'm doing this, and I just kind of think, okay. And then then there's some other guy talking. Can't really tell what he's saying. Doesn't make a lot of sense. But I get to this section, and I later learn that it's called Romans. Romans. And there's this guy, Paul, and he says, and and what later I realized is Romans 7, he says, the things I do not want to do, I keep on doing, the things I want to do, I do not do. What a wretched man I am, who will save me from this body of death? And it was the weirdest thing. When I read that little line, I had the same feeling I had had in the Christian karaoke meeting (laughs) a year earlier. I felt like someone was pressing on my chest. And I went, That is true. I don't know why it's true, but I know that's true. There's stuff I don't want to do, I keep doing. There's things I want to do, and for some reason, I can't do it. I know that's true. And the next verse is Romans 8 1. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death and it was like a light bulb went off in my head and i went oh my goodness this is about freedom all of this stuff about jesus is about freedom i didn't know it was about freedom i had no idea what was going on but that guy said it that clearly and it was like a light bulb went off and i thought if there's any way i can change from this to this i'll do whatever it takes and i didn't know what to do but it felt like i was supposed to do something i had this like feeling you know like this press pressure So I crawled out of bed, I actually like knelt on the ground, and I said, if there's any way you can do this to me, I'll follow you the rest of my life. I'll do whatever you want me to do. In a very real sense, I'm living that prayer to this very moment. And it felt like the whole room filled with warm jello, and I was breathing it in, and I was breathing it out, and I was weeping uncontrollably for about half an hour weeping, like, it felt like someone was, like, washing me. It's a weirdest experience. And after about a half an hour, I went, what am I doing? I'm like a lunatic, like a crazy man. I'm having a nervous breakdown. Pull it together, Jay. And I I got up, I climbed into bed to go to sleep, and then I kept waking up in the middle of the night, and I was crying in the middle of the night. I got up and I stood in the shower and I was crying in the shower. I got down to get in my friend's car to go to school and I was crying in his car. He said, are you okay? I said, shut up. <laughs> I'm fine. Just don't look at me. And I just cried the whole way to school. I went in school. I barely made it through our first class and I knew I was going to see the guy, that guy who took me to the Christian karaoke meeting. I knew I would see him after the first class. So I like, went down the hallway to find him and I found him and there he was, Johnny. I, and I looked at him and I said, Johnny. I gotta talk to you. And I pulled him aside, and I started crying. He goes, oh my goodness, are you okay? I said, I'm not okay. I think I'm having a nervous breakdown. I read something in the Bible last night, and then the next thing you know, it was warm jello, and I'm breathing, and I'm crying. <laughs> I think I'm losing my mind. I need you to help me. Something is wrong. I don't know how to stop this. Something's happening to me. And he goes, oh, Jay, I know what's wrong with you. I said, okay, what's wrong with me? And he got real quiet, he looked around, he goes, you're a charismatic. <laughs> now, I didn't, I didn't know what it meant, but I knew it wasn't good. And so, so I said, okay, so what do I do? He said, it's really simple. From now on, no warm jello, no crying, none of that stuff. Just That's it. Don't talk about that anymore. What you're going to talk about from now on, if anybody asks you, you just say, I gave my life to Jesus, and I've been born again. And I flashed all the way back to that stupid McDonald's at the table, and I thought, he got me. That guy got me. (laughs) How did he do that? That weirdo got me. And I thought, I'm not saying that. I remember actually saying to him, I'm not saying that. He goes, well, that's what's happening. I go, well, I'm not saying it. I don't even know what that means. (laughs) But from that moment to this one, I'm learning more and more that the more that I trust, I trust in this man, Jesus. His teaching, His life, I experience more freedom. But it's for freedom that Christ has set you free, yeah. freedom. It's, I think Jesus needs new PR. That people who have been shaped by Jesus exemplify a freedom. They live relaxed because they know they're loved, because of who he is, and what he does. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Jay. Okay, so remember the Twitter conversation. As you're thinking along with us, uh, feel free to begin to post. Because after Bart's finished, we'll just do a little bit of Q&A. And we want to play along with what you're hearing and how you're responding as well. So, again, Jay, wonderful to hear. Revisit high school with you, man. And uh, Bart, we're all yours.
2: Ready for a little karaoke? (laughs) Freedom. Freedom and having our boundaries shaken up. I worked at Westmont College for about 18 years and we would often bring students home. In fact, some of them are here today. They keep following me. And uh, there was a young woman, she was from Kenya, her name Jackie Oweedy. She's from a tribe that's very tall, even in comparison to me. Uh, And Christmas time was rolling around and it's it's a long way to to go back to Kenya, obviously. And so, so Linda and I invited her to come to our place for, for Christmas, and I thought this would be great. We'll show her how Americans celebrate Christmas. And so Jackie came, elegant, elegant, beautiful Kenyan woman, very dark skin, beautiful flashing smile, and British Kenyan accent. She couldn't say Bart, my name, she'd say Bot. So we took her to the Christmas tree farm, we live in Santa Barbara, we try to pretend it's cold for one day, you know, just put some sweaters on to pretend, and, and we go to the Christmas tree farm, and we're sawing down the tree, and it takes our family, th- three young kids, I'm not sure how old they were at the time, but uh, we're picking, that. we have these arguments over trees, that one's too fat, that one's too skinny, we, we just have a great time, we saw it down, put it up on our old beat up tan Subaru, tie it with twine, Drive back to our house, get it down, put it in the stand, you know, you know go up in the attic, get those cardboard boxes down, they're kind of musty, and they got all the ornaments in them, and, and, and my family, it's a big deal, I mean, we, we, my mother made all our ornaments, and uh, they're handmade, they got little little dazzly things that she puts pins through, and shells she'd cut in half and put pictures of me in them, which was really great, and... Uh, and, and so with all those on and the lights, and we're Californians, so we put flowers in the tree and everything. It was hip in those days. And, and I, we get the tree up, and it's kind of done. There's a fire in the fireplace. We're all sweating, <laughs> but you got to do it. And, uh, and Jackie's standing there kind of watching this, like, what's going on? And, and I said, Jackie, what do you think? And she said, uh, bought. I'm trying to figure out why you drag... First, you cut down a live tree, and then you drag it into your house to celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I thought, what are you, some kind of pagan? I mean... <laughs> it's, it's obvious. And then I realized, I have no idea why we cut a tree down, drag it into our house, rob it of life to celebrate the birth of Jesus. So I I did what you do when you don't know how to answer something. I changed the topic, and I said, well, uh, I'll get back to you on that one, but uh, uh, you got to admit it's a beautiful tree, isn't it? And there was this pause. She's supposed to say yes. She says, but I can't even see the tree, because of all that stuff on it. I said, that stuff, I'm thinking this, that stuff is my mother's ornaments. Those are, and there's one with my picture in it. And I looked at it, and in a flash, all of a sudden, I saw it through her eyes. And I realized, you, you couldn't see the tree because all that stuff on it. And then it hit me. That's what we've done with Jesus. You can't get through to see him because of all the ornaments, all the baubles we've hung on him. And, and, and they're handmade baubles by our foreparents. And, and they're special ones. There's some really nice Presbyterian ones on there. I like those. You know, they pay my salary. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm all for it. John Calvin, go. Uh, go. <laughs> We got some Franciscan baubles, we got Jesuit baubles, we got Orthodox baubles, we, we got all kinds of ornaments, traditions, rituals, even systems of thought about Jesus, how he fits into the scheme of things, and you know, is the, is the, is the, the, the Son of God uh, and the Father get together and send the Spirit out, or does it only come from the Father? Well, we got Orthodox baubles that answer that, and Protestant ones, and... And it gets kind of hard just to see Jesus. Because in some cases, the baubles are sort of distracting. Bad PR, like Jay was saying. How do we get to the real Jesus who dealt with real people about their real lives? And get away from this bauble-incarcerated Jesus... Who's obscured from our view. If we don't take some of the ornaments off, we'll never be astonished by Jesus. A good question to ask yourself is, when is the last time you were astonished in your real life by the real Jesus? Because the real Jesus, when he walked the face of the earth, the people who wrote about him, the one word they used over and over and over again to describe their encounter with the real Jesus was astonished. In the Gospel of Mark, it's used ten times about Jesus, and then Jesus uses it one time. Jesus was astonished. Actually, two places in the four Gospels where Jesus' mind was blown. But most of the time, it's people meeting Jesus and their minds are blown. Like the first time, remember when the Holy Family has Jesus and they're going down to Jerusalem? And this is a big deal when you've been entrusted with, you know, the Lamb of God who's going to take away the sin of the world. I mean, that's that's a heavy responsibility. They take him down to Jerusalem from Galilee. They're going down there. It's his 12th birthday. He's a young man. He takes on the yoke of the law. He's, he, he's not just a boy anymore. And, of course, you know the story. It's kind of home alone part one, you know. <laughs> they, they start traveling home. There's that, that, that great line in Luke. I think he had to be smiling when he wrote it. it says, And they traveled on for a day thinking Jesus was in their company which is kind of like most of us, maybe even like our whole tradition. We've traveled on for a couple centuries, a couple millennia, thinking Jesus was in our company, and then we look around, and where is he? I thought he was with you. I thought he was with you. It's bad when you see the Holy Family fighting. It's just not good. They go back. They hunt for him. They're worried sick, as my mother would say, and then they find him, of course, where you assume they'd find him, and he's in the temple, and, what, and he's what? Huh? Teaching, right? I tricked you. See, that's what you thought. That's what your Bible taught you. That's what your ornament said. He was in, and they were astonished at his teaching, right? Wrong. What was Jesus doing right in the beginning of his adult life? He was in the temple, but he was not teaching. It says exactly this He was sitting amongst the elders, he was listening to them, and he was asking them questions. And they were astonished at his answers. That's the Jesus way. The Jesus way for a 12-year-old Jesus is astonishing. He's sitting with, he's listening to, and he's asking meaningful questions of. What if his followers did a little more of that? What if the followers of Jesus sat with other people, present fully present. You know, any psychologist, any healer, any pastoral counselor will tell you that half the healing, actually more like 90% of any therapeutic healing happens by simply being present. Don't you know that feeling when you don't get it very often, but you're with somebody and, and they're not checking their Facebook account for a change and they're listening to you and you just get this sense that they're actually present. And you feel healing happen in your heart just to be listened to. And then to be asked meaningful questions. And then to enter into a conversation to sit with, to listen to, and to ask meaningful questions. And then they had this conversation which astonished them about Jesus. It's the Jesus way. Uh, he wouldn't have such bad PR if his people were doing it a little more the way he did it. I, I first learned about this thought of astonishment from a friend of mine named Don Valencia. We used to call him Don Intensia. I mean, he, was, he just was on fire all the time. A handsome guy, sharp, bright, medical researcher, uh, studying cancer. And, and, but on the side, his hobby was taking coffee beans into his medical lab and trying to come up with the best instant coffee possible. And his wife kept saying, you need to take that over that, that uh, place in Seattle, uh, that Starbucks place, that new startup deal, and show him that. He said, I'm not going to do that. Finally, she drug him over there like a good wife. And, uh, and she said, look, my husband's got this invention. And he poured the water in this little thing they'd made. And the baristas are sipping and going, yes, sir, that's, that's really nice. You know? mm, yeah, really nice. They, they leave. He's depressed. He's going, I told you, this is silly. I feel humiliated. He goes back in to get his hat, which he thought he had left there, and he sees the baristas now that he's gone going, this is amazing. He gets a call from Howard Schultz two days later. Please, uh, I'm sending my jet down to pick you up. We want you to come back to Seattle. We want to talk about that. I need somebody to start research and development at Starbucks. He hired him. Anybody like Via? You know little VIA? That stands for Don Valencia, VIA. He invented it, that was his invention. Anybody likes- he invented those too. Well, he was a buddy of mine, and and we he, he fell in love with Jesus, the real Jesus, who got into real people's lives and did really astonishing things. Well, that same Jesus gave him an experience much like Jay's when he was about 42 years old, and, and he, was, he was on fire, and we were traveling to Latin America together. He was involved in land reform for the poor in the name of Jesus, and we were doing stuff in other countries, and I was on my way to Colombia, and I got a call from Don in the Miami airport and he said, Bart, I need prayer. I said, what's up? He said, I, I, they're rushing me to the hospital. I'm in excruciating pain. He said, you're kidding. I said, do you want me to turn around and come fly to Seattle? He said, no, go to Colombia. Let's stay in touch. So we went to Colombia. We had some astonishing adventures in Colombia. but I, but I was calling him. How's it going? He says, I've got a huge mass uh, it's so big. They 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 thought it was my liver. It looks really bad. They're doing all the tests. Uh, when you get back, once you come up here, so I got back. I flew straight to Seattle. Stayed at his house with his wife Heather, his two children, uh, three or four other key friends of his are there, and his doctor called the next day after I got there and said, Don, uh, I want you to come. Uh, come over and see me today. And he said, well, what, what time do you have available? She said, "Just you just come. Whenever you come, we'll, we'll make it available. You, you don't want your oncologist to tell you that. So he said, I'll come at about three. And he called all of us and said, I'll meet you there. We said, well, what, what are you doing now? He says, well, I've got, another, I've got a friend who's dying of a brain cancer, and he's in the hospital. I'm going to go care for him. So he goes to this other hospital to care for a guy with brain cancer. We meet him at his doctor's office. I'll never forget a little examination room. Uh, His wife is sitting here. I'm sitting next to her. She's here. Uh, Don said, here, sit next to Heather. I said, no, no, don't you want her to sit next to you? He said, no, I want to sit across. I want to see her. And then there are two other friends, two or three other friends there. And the doctor came in. And it's obvious she'd been crying. Her nose was all red and her eyes were blurry and... And Don said, who's kind of large and in charge, you know, he just, he just said, well, doctor, uh, before you start, I mean, we're both scientists. I, I know you don't have good news for me. It's pretty obvious. Uh, I just, but before you give it to me, let me just say something. I, I just want to thank you for your thorough work, for your good science for, for how much care you've given me. You, you have done a tremendous job. All these tests, all these things we've talked about, because he'd talk about all the biology of it with her. He said, you've done a tremendous job. I really appreciate it. And I, if you're bringing me bad news, I, I'm not afraid, because I am a follower of Jesus. And, and I'm, I'm honestly not afraid of whatever you're going to tell me. So. Now, I'm crying, his wife is crying, the doctor's crying. Don is the only one, I was thinking about this today, he was the only one who wasn't crying. She tells him, through tears, uh, you have the worst form of cancer. It's completely incurable. There's really nothing to do. We can can fight it with chemo and stuff, but it it might extend your life a little bit. It'll be at a heavy cost. And he just says, thank you. Thanks for being so honest with me. We go back to their house. It's a little bit of a blur to me, but uh, we, we gather some of the, their family together, talk it through, and, and then we all go to bed. I get up the next morning, and very early. I couldn't sleep very well, obviously. And Don's sitting in the sunroom of their Seattle house in the university district where they had this tremendous outreach to hundreds, literally hundreds of university students and, and he's sitting there, and he's got his Bible, and he looks up, you know, he's got some Starbucks he's drinking, you know, and, and he, says, he says, this is so exciting, Bart. I'm thinking, dude, you just got diagnosed with cancer. This is not, I mean, he says, no, no, listen. He says, do you realize that 10 times in the gospel of Mark, it says Jesus was astonishing? And I'm thinking, you just got a death sentence, and you're studying the Greek word for astonishment in the gospel of Luke? I mean, Mark? He says, listen, listen to this. And he literally walked me through all ten spots without even the Bible open. It was, abs- I, it was stunning. And he says, you know, what do you think, Bart, about what happened to me last night? I said, you mean the diagnosis in the afternoon? No, no. He said, something happened to me in the night. I woke up after reading Mark, and and I thought, is Jesus astonishing me lately? I said, what happened? He said, God spoke to me. He said, Don, look around your room. I'll astonish you through anything if you'll look deeply enough. And he, he was kind of a literal guy. So he looked up, and he looked, and he saw the molding between the ceiling and the wall of his house. Really, it was a beautiful home, really beautiful molding. And he looked, and he thought, okay, molding. You're going to astonish me from molding. And then he started thinking about the craftsmen who put that up. And it, but then he thought, well, well, they had to get the wood. And, and somebody had to mill it. And somebody had to create the machine that milled it just so perfectly like this. But before they could do that, it had to actually be cut into a plank from a log. And before that, the log was a tree. And before that, there was somebody that went out to that forest, and there was a logger who had a family and was cutting down that tree. And all of a sudden, then it was a seed before that, and it had grown up in this forest. and The whole thing just expanded. And he said, I was astonished. He said, I looked around the room, and everything I looked at, I could see. He didn't say these words, but I would say it this way. He could see God coming toward him in love through everything around him. You see, the heavens were torn open for him, like Jesus at the baptism. And then he said, what do you think about that passage, Barton, in Mark 10, 32? I hate it when people do that to me, Uh, you know. I mean, I love Jesus and the Bible and everything, but I mean, I don't know every verse. I said, Don, I have no idea. and, And then he paraphrased it, and he really caught the essence of it, not the exact wordings, but here's what he said Jesus was going toward Jerusalem, and his disciples were with him, and some were walking alongside of him, and they were astonished, while others followed behind, and they were afraid. And that's when he looked at me and said, Bart, I've been following Jesus, but I've been following from behind and kind of afraid. And with whatever time I've got left, I want to get up next to him and be astonished. You see, we've got to get some of the ornaments off the tree if we're going to walk up close and be astonished, because ornaments aren't that astonishing. How how far back are you following Are you you following the real Jesus? One of the greatest books ever written by Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ written in the 14th century. He starts it out. I'll read you one sentence. By the way, find some good books. You know. uh, And read them over and over. Let the life Of Jesus Christ be our first consideration. Let's let the life of Jesus Christ be our first consideration, our second consideration, our third consideration, so that we would consider him so deeply that we would begin to think like he thought, that that we would begin to feel what he felt about the things he felt, that we would actually begin to do the things he did, and not do the things He refused to do. If we would consider Him, make Him our first consideration, the baubles would fall away. The true life of Jesus would begin to astonish us. I want to leave you with a challenge to take on a practice this next year. I'm going to call it Immersion in the Gospels. Immersion in the Gospels. The Baptists love it. They're so excited right now. Yeah, I'm not talking about baptism. Yeah, You know, most of the Pentecostals, I know, you take their Bible, you go like this, opens to Acts 2.42, you know, or to, you know, Pentecost. And, and yeah, you know, the Baptists, they go, Romans, Romans, oh, boy, we love Paul, you know. Yeah, the Presbyterians, you gotta, first got to cut the shrink wrap off, and then, you know. <laughs> Uh, But it's my tribe, I can make fun of us. Uh, But how many Bibles kind of naturally open up to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? The Word become flesh. Well, one scholar said, uh, if God isn't like Jesus, He ought to be. Another said, Jesus is the theology of the Father. Another said, Jesus is the parable of God. If you, Paul said it this way, he's the visible expression of the invisible God. If you want to know what God is like, if you want to know, in fact, what life is supposed to be like, take a look at Jesus. In fact, take your baubles, take your little systems, take your, your little theology or my little theology and put it up against the person of Jesus and see if it passes the test. See if your most fondly held thoughts and conclusions pass the love of Jesus test. Does it smell like him? Does it seem like he would do what you were thinking of doing or what you did? Put it up against him. The immersion in the Gospels. You know, set aside dieting and following Jesus' books, you know, things like that. Three easy steps. And just pick up Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and soak in them for a year so that if somebody cut your arm, you'd believe Jesus. That you'd be stained to the bone with the thinking and the feelings of Jesus. Because we're told anyone who says they're in Christ must walk as Jesus walked. How can we do that unless we know some of the stuff? Like Carl said, you, you can't ask him to give you a story if you don't even know the stories. Like I told you a story tonight and you had it all wrong. I'm sorry. He wasn't teaching. You, you've been taught that. You see, I guarantee you, if you'd read it this morning, you would have still thought he was teaching in the temple because you're seeing, you've got to clean that lens. You've got to let Jesus leap off that page and get into your life, the real one, into your real life. Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard, said this, we ought to live our lives the way Jesus would live our lives if if Jesus had our lives to live. That's worth writing down. You should live your life the way Jesus would live your life as a homemaker, as a mother, as a wife, as a husband, as an employer, as an employee. You should live your life the way Jesus would live your life if Jesus had your life to live, which he's actually supposed to, isn't he? Well, I don't know how that happens unless you know how Jesus thought and how he felt and what he did. And there's four books that talk about that. The others talk about it in other ways. But those four are eyewitness accounts or very close to it. And you, you, we need to be soaked in those. That's it.
0: Thank you. OK, if you want to join the conversation, um, SJG poll hashtag before that and let us hear your comments because we want to spend some moments now with the four of us talking about what it is that we're hearing each other say and taking our conversation from, thanks Bart, from moving, I think when we were around the fireplace in Santa Barbara, we were supposed to be planning and getting organized for this, but we just kept burning the time talking about yep. Jesus. Yep. <laughs> then we find so we got to get organized. Then um, you can you can tell we're we're still learning how to get organized. But this conversation that we're talking about, one thing that came up, and I can start here unless you guys Go want forward. to take another starting point is, Carl, you said that you knew a lot about Christ, and you could talk a while about Lord but you found yourself caught short about Jesus. And you were asked not to speak about Christianity, but just to talk about Jesus. So what's the difference either between Christianity and Jesus, or what's the difference between Christ and Lord and Jesus? Well,
1: that's a simple question. Yeah, I thought we would start easy.
0: <laughs> start off um, with the easy one. Yeah, and, and we can play. I mean, Jay and, and Barter in this as well. But um, any other thoughts that you want
1: to? Well, one thought about you know, just his name, I think I honestly grew up thinking the name of Jesus was Christ, that Christ was his, his last name. name, his last name, maybe. Okay, so it's like you birth know. certificate stuff? Yeah, Lord, Lord was his first name, yeah. middle name Jesus, last name Christ. Okay. You know, yeah. Lord and Christ are titles, which okay. we know are true. We know he is the master, and he is the Messiah. We believe that. We know that to be true. We ex- we've experienced that, but his name is Jesus. I mean, that's his name in English, but his name in English is Jesus. And... Uh, so I'm married, my wife is Chris. You'll hear from her tomorrow night, she's over there. Uh, and she is my wife, but I typically don't just call her the wife. <laughs> I don't call her wife, I call her Chris. Her name is Chris. And so I yeah. think there's an intimacy sometimes. that I've, I, That's how I felt with myself, is that Christ or Lord as titles actually is a little bit of a separation. It's a safety net for me. When I say Jesus, it feels like a close friend. Hmm. I'm calling Jay, Jay, Bart, Bart, Barry. Yeah. You know, you, you guys yeah. are my friends. Uh, rather than just some title, you know, reverend or whatever. So, so that's what I meant by that. I think I knew Christ, Lord, which are the theology of who he is, yeah. which we believe to be true, but that's not his name. And I think that kind of represented the separation between what I call Christianity, or all things about Jesus, and Jesus himself. So the things about Jesus, the doctrines and theologies of Christianity, I think mostly, I would say, are good, and I agree with and believe in, but it's not quite the essence of the deal. Uh, The essence is the person, and so it's just that was just my way of expressing how you know Bart. Set it by the Christmas tree. Does that tree get story. to the ornaments? Yeah. yeah, the ornaments. And my way of saying that was just uh, without the Christmas, that's a great story. By the way, I preached that story quite a bit. I hope you give me yeah. credit. I don't give you credit. I, I just, <laughs> we have the same kind of Christmas tree. Don't you give time, me. So. Royalties? No, the nothing. I, yeah. I give, yeah. I give, There's you, I, none of that. Nothing. Coming. I give you nothing. What a Christian. <laughs> what a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's, I mean, that's a big, that's kind of a lot of our discussion this weekend probably is that mm-hmm. question, but that's that's yeah. how I think of it.
0: Dear Bart, you guys want to play with that at all yet? Well, you do
1: So,
3: I, I actually want to hear you say something,
2: Bart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I'm, gonna, that ask, sounds a lot like I'm gonna ask you a Jesus question.
0: Here say. it is. So,
3: so like sometimes, <laughs> I, not not all the time. Sometimes I've heard Carl or you or me be accused of just playing games with words like are we are you just kind of doing a semantic thing here you, you mm-hmm. know, take out you know it's sort of like find and replace in a word document find anywhere that says Christ and just say Jesus mm-hmm. and then you've done it do you think I mean I I mm-hmm. know you think we're doing something else how would you respond to that mm-hmm. as people ask that yeah. or say that
2: so. well I think it's a great question I, I think you can play semantic games uh... with these things and that then it isn't particularly impactful. Uh, For me, when this thought began to dawn on me that there might be a difference between Jesus and Christianity, and I'm a Christian, I'm a pastor, I I love my faith tradition, but when it began to dawn on me that might be true, I, I researched it really deeply for I would say six to eight years, both biblically and practically. And it took me that long to make the shift Uh, and it was a paradigm shift because for me to be a Christian meant to know Christ which meant to know Jesus and I want everyone on the planet to know Jesus and all that he brings so I didn't want to water it down but it did seem a little odd that you would be watering something down from by going from a religious tradition back to word of God in full life. That's Jesus. Jesus is the living word of God. Scripture is the written word of God. Jesus is the incarnate word of God. So to me it began to make sense that the more we get to the essence, which is Jesus, who is the Christ, who should be our Lord, actually is our Lord, he's our Lord whether we uh, acknowledge it or not, uh, that would be strengthening, not compromising the good news, the gospel. So, I remember Carl and I, in the early days of our friendship, had this conversation many times. And uh, uh, it just for me, once the shift happened, it became way more than just wording. For one thing, uh, I can talk about Jesus pretty much everywhere on planet Earth and have an open reception. I cannot do that about Christianity. That doesn't mean Christianity is bad, but it, it isn't universal in that sense. Or, for example, uh, we, if you think they're just the same thing like Christianity and Jesus, then try praying sometime in the name of Christianity.
0: <laughs> that's good. Let's do that for a moment, Yeah, okay? yeah. Just <laughs> say a
2: prayer. Ask for something to be the end, in say, the name of Christianity. Christianity. You know, why, why does it feel—we instantly so know that's not right, but praying in the name of Jesus. One, one last thought. I, this is a thing about immersing yourself in the Gospels. The word Christ is used very seldom. I think it's four or five times in the gospel. The word Jesus, his real name, the intimate name, which means savior, by the way, or rescuer, that, that's used hundreds and hundreds of times. So the early church talked about Jesus. That, that's what they were excited about. When they were together, those who had decided to be his disciples, be his followers, they talked about him as Christ. And so that's what you have in the epistles. That's in-house talking. But the thing that drew people to Jesus was simply talking about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And we kind of think, no, if we talk about Paul, that's the really good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, well, I mean, Jesus is great, but let's 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 get Romans down here. Well, Romans is fantastic, I love it, but that's when we're sitting around trying to figure out how this all fits together. If you're going to talk to others, I loved what you said, Jake, tell a story. Mm-hmm. Just tell a story about Jesus or what you did in the mosque, just tell the story. You'll be amazed. I, try, I remember when I first tried it in a, in a non-Christian culture, I was in Saudi Arabia, uh, and I, I just thought for sure you, you'd get thrown out if you talked about Jesus. And every time I get to the J word, you know, I you know, I'd try to get it out. I got people with, you know, shake outfits on and everything. I mean, I was scared. <laughs> and and I get to the word Jesus and I just kind of like get it out of my mouth. And I'd be kind of waiting for them to be shocked and, you know, horrified. And and they'd all go, Jesus? Yeah. You mean tell us more about Jesus? That was my experience over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. In fact, I would have to keep saying to them, "I don't. I'm not telling you about Christianity. I'm just. I'm telling you, I'm. I am a Christian. I come from that heritage, and it's my tradition. But and I believe, you know, I believe that's my. That's my deal. But but it's actually Jesus at the center of it. So I. I well, let me tell one last story. I'm sorry, I'm taking a long, that's long good. answer here, but I, 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 I think I can get this story right. I've heard it so many times. In the Reagan administration, there was a group that met in the White House to pray together. And they would read a little thing, and they'd share a little thing. And, and Dr. Burns, who was Secretary of the Treasury, I believe, at that time, a Jewish man was there. You probably, Those of you who are older here will remember him. He always had a pipe in his hand like this. And... And the deal was, they'd talk about Jesus, they'd study one of the Gospels, and they'd share, and Dr. Burns was a part of this. And, and then they'd pr- say a little prayer, and they'd ask one guy in the group to say a prayer. It happened to be all men at that, at that time in our history, in that group. And, and, and the kind of deal was, well, when it got to Dr. Burns, they'd kind of skip over him, because they didn't want to put him in an awkward place to be praying or something. And, and so, one time, a guy came to the group who apparently didn't know the tradition... And at the end, he broke the rules and said, well, Dr. Burns, why don't you close us in prayer? And like all the other guys who were Christians, were kind of like, oh my gosh, this is really embarrassing because he had protocol-wise was way above them. And, and he, as I heard it, he got kind of tapped on his, his little pipe there and set it down I said, I'd be, I'd be honored to pray. And here was his prayer. Oh Lord, I pray that all the Jews in the world would come to know Jesus. I pray that all the Hindus in the world would come to know Jesus. I pray that all the atheists, all the Buddhists in the world would come to know Jesus. And oh Lord, I pray that all the Christians would come to know Jesus.
0: It's <laughs> we'll a good we'll prayer. Say. Yeah, that is a good prayer, Dr. <laughs>
1: David. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I, one of the things that's been interesting that as we've been thinking about praying about planning this uh this little event is that when you say to somebody maybe somebody that you want to share some thoughts or just to a friend you know maybe a, maybe a pastor friend who you want you know him or her or whatever to bring a few people from their church and you say <clears throat> you know we're having a thing it's called simply jesus and as you might guess it's you know focused on jesus and they go yeah great great and so uh we're just gonna gather and talk about jesus a uh, fantastic and and then especially if we've asked some of them to share some thoughts, they go, oh yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a pastor, I mean, obviously, you know, I, talk, I can talk about, I mean, what am I about, like church, maybe church uh, politics or government, government? No, we're just you know, focused on Jesus, oh yeah. Jesus. So how, what if we, what if we talk, I mean, could we talk about maybe some of the, uh, and then they just say, they say yes, right, they, you've, we've all experienced this, and they say then 10 things back to you that don't have the word, the name Jesus in them. Mm-hmm. And I just, I mean, in this church process. Church planting.
2: Church planting. Ju- all good things. Missions, justice. Missions.
1: Evangelism. Yeah. You know, yeah, gr- great stuff. Yeah, justice Theology, things. Yeah. You know, how to serve the homeless and how to have, you know, different causes. And people have had lots of great ideas for us about we, we could focus on this or that. And it's it's been interesting to see that it's hard for, it's really hard for us to hone in actually on Jesus. Yeah. And then some people have asked questions like, well, are you guys like, Jesus only people. I don't. I'm not even sure if I know what that means. But I think there's a doctrine that, like, sure. Jesus is the I mean, Jesus is all of God or something like that. So I go. Well, I'm not sure. I don't. Maybe I don't think so. But you know, you know I'm not sure what that is. But yeah. so it's just been interesting. When when you say Jesus, it does. If you're a Christian, if your tradition is Christian, then you think that means kind of everything. And so then you can throw in evangelism, church planning strategies as being Jesus. Mm. But then you find in those meetings, you can talk for three days and nobody ever actually talks about Jesus.
2: Yeah. I, I, I worked for a, a conference center. I volunteered some time to research all their documents, at the Christian Conference Center, fabulous place. Uh, and I, I studied their history and then I looked at all their current documents and exactly what you just said was the case. And I met with their board and I said, okay, I've read all of your older documents because they've been around 50 or 60 years. And let me show you what you were saying in the early years. It was Jesus this, and it was Jesus that. And, and I said, now let me get out every single piece of literature that you now send out under your name. Mm. And he wasn't mentioned at all. Mm. And they were shocked. Yeah. And, and these are people who love Jesus, believe, peace of the Christ. I mean, they... they but they had they'd gotten the ornaments mixed up for the tree right. and they just hadn't even noticed it. And they, they changed everything, up yeah. to their credit. They, they, they just, they were stunned.
3: Yeah, yeah, well, and, and even tonight, you know, telling my story, you know, it's amazing how quickly you become acculturated within the sure. ornaments, like to use your illustration, you know? So, I, I mean, when I, was when I first traveled with you, when we went over to the Middle East, and just even seeing how how Christianity is a culture in, in a sense, you know, and that even around the world, mm-hmm. religion and culture and family are all sort of interactive mm-hmm. in a very, very kind of poignant way mm-hmm. to where in the West, we have this crazy belief that you can sort of like pick your religion almost like you can pick your culture or something which doesn't make mm-hmm. sense in most of the world mm-hmm. so that as soon as you say, you know, in certain parts of the world you're a Christian, that means that you're American, or if you're American, you're a Christian, and then that means that you are like all four Britney Spears grinding on their television. Mm-hmm.
1: They're all connected. Praise the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, or
3: not. So, I'll, I'm, I'm not gonna agree with that. So, so anyway, um, but, but you know, all, all of that's like just sort of interwoven, and so if you'd say, yeah, okay, so I'm a, I'm a Christian, then, then you're sort of just thrown into this whole deal. And so it isn't just semantic, there is sort of a, a way of seeing the world, a paradigm that I thought maybe was just in these other places.
2: Mm.
3: But like many times when you travel the world and you see cultures and religion and faith and family, that they're all woven together in a certain way. When I came back to the States and just started to look for that, I realized, mm-hmm. no, there's a culture here, too. There's a shorthand that we try to use that actually somehow misses the target often. And, mm-hmm. and then just sort of trying to discipline yourself. Maybe starting semantically is, yeah. is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Because when you start with the semantics, That's even if point. it is just semantic, yeah. it makes you start to rethink, yeah. what do those other words really do for me? Mm. And and then it may, maybe even will start to reshape mm-hmm. how you think and how you act and how you live. Um, so that was my experience.
1: I mean, people ask me that. Is this just semantics that you're saying follower of Jesus versus Christian or whatever? I say, yeah, it is. I mean, semantics is how you, how you use language. Yeah. So yes, we're choosing to use language in a certain way that forces us to talk more about Jesus and say actually the word, the name, the semantics, Jesus, more than... Christian or Christianity, not because we believe this and not that so much, but I think semantics do lead you down. Your your words lead you down a certain path. Your words matter. Yeah. You do start to you, stu, you do start to believe what you keep saying, mm-hmm. and that, that shapes your life. So I think there is part of that. Where you can just say to somebody, Yeah, actually, this is it is. A, it's not a game. It's not a semantical mm-hmm. game, mm-hmm. but it is some semant- There are some semantics here, and yeah. and not be defensive about that.
2: There, there came a point in. My teaching and preaching. When at this horrible realization, I was like 25 years into being a preacher, and I realized Jesus never gave a sermon like I do. Yeah.
0: (laughs) That's kind kind of 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 that's kind kind of embarrassing.
2: (laughs) I mean, I give a 25-minute sermon, and I I tell them what the Greek meant and the Hebrew. I mean, can you imagine Jesus at like Sermon on the Mount saying, "Well, by the way, the Hebrew means this," and you know. (laughs) Or or doing, like, line by line through Leviticus or something. I mean, he just... And I thought, he just told stories. Well, I'm a pretty good storyteller. I like telling stories, so I'm kind of like him there. Then I realized, I always tell people what the story meant. And he often didn't. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: He'd just leave it hang. Like, I wouldn't have told you what the tree was, you know? I don't trust you guys that much, actually. (laughs) So, I mean, trying to... use words, use language, use concepts that Jesus, if you look, used himself, if you yeah. look at, like, even the Sermon on the Mount, there's very little religious content in it. Yeah. It's about marriages, mm-hmm. it's about your heart, it's about your enemies, it's about uh, reconciliation, revenge, the only, there's only three religious topics in the, uh, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, and there, and on each of them, Jesus says, beware. Mm-hmm. Watch out when, when you give to the poor. Uh, watch out when you fast. Mm-hmm. Watch out when you pray. Don't do it this way, do it that way. The rest of it, it's about anger, it's about judgment, it's about, it's about real life. Jesus yeah. talked about real life. I often talk about theological categories. I'm trying. Mm-hmm. So changing your language, I think it's a great point, can, can tr- in a way take you in to a more expansive paradigm. And Jesus' expansive paradigm was obviously the, the kingdom of God.
0: That's, we, we bought a lemon tree. Terry and I picked out a Myers lemon tree, brought it home in the box that we chose it in. And of course, we chose the one with the best fruit hanging there when it was at Sloat Garden Center. So we get it home, and we water it, and we leave it in the original container, and it just does beautiful for several months. It does a couple of seasons. We're picking the, the lemons that we want, and we're excited about it. And we got there in a matter of some weeks of just kind of taking for granted, and the thing's beginning to droop, and it looks withered, and it's just not happening anymore. So I try to fertilize a little bit and, and do what I can do. And I live in San Francisco, so I, I, uh, I fertilize this thing. I give it a little St. Francis blessing, you know, on the tree. <laughs> really you were desperate, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, I yeah. really desperate. And I just said, you know her uh, I don't think this thing's going to make it. She came out and looked at it as well, and she goes, well, you know, why we just take it out of the container and just um, throw it in the yard, dig a hole, and if it doesn't make it, it doesn't make it. And uh, that's like last ditch effort, right? So I do that. It takes me 20 minutes to dig a hole, take the thing out of the container, throw it in the ground, and, you know, lo and behold, I don't know if it was the St. Francis blessing, probably not, but I come out there in a couple of more months and this thing's starting to show life. Hmm. Right? And you know where I'm going with this. Hmm is the container Jesus found most of us in was a religious circle, you know, karaoke youth group. Or, but we outgrow the container he found us in. And it's disappointing to the people who invited us into that container sometimes to watch us mm. outgrow it unless they're growing too. But the language and the symbols and the teachings of Jesus are what we're made for. Those are the deep roots. Mm. And we just got to get to those. And sometimes you have to leave your own place that you found it in order to really grow into mm. what it's all about. And it's not just semantics, mm. it is the kingdom of God that we're made mm. to experience and to know about. Mm. And in that way, um, I think Jesus and what we're talking about, it, this dials into some of the essential things that we're trying to unlearn in our lives and share with you guys. and. And I'm reading the clock and, and we're there. Can we We're great.
1: there, but we got We actually got something. Oh, Can we get tweet? something there? Somebody's here
0: is under this is exciting. 40. The, the more I immerse myself in the gospels. Okay, oh, The more I immerse myself in the gospels, the harder it is to navigate a church culture, which does not Which does not. Which does not. Period. Does not thoughts. Yeah, it's good that we're closing right now. It's nine o'clock. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, do you guys want to? I mean, we, we will. Bart, you're like we will a, not go long. But did anybody want to pick that up, or do we want to play with it tomorrow? Let's play with it tomorrow. Okay, that's a big thought. Yeah, it, we'll do it's, it. a it's a great promise. question. Whoever said it, excellent. Thank thought. you. And this is the conversation we want to have. So yeah. thank you for getting that up and and more like that because we'll even start with those earlier as we see those on the screen.